Hey guys, G here, or otherwise known as Herman Anthony, it's my middle name. And today I'm so excited to bring you the first episode of The Way Within. This episode is going to be about my Burning Man experience, the one I've been promising to share with you guys for a long time, where some really crazy stuff happened to me, and I don't want to give too much away before we get into it, but just a bit about the show. The Way Within is about basically my experience and other people's experiences of finding out who they are. The acronym for Way is Who Are You Within. So we're going to have guests on that are sharing information about things that they're doing and their own personal stories that I'm, I'm hoping is going to inspire you to go on your own journey of self-exploration. So feel free to reach out www.thewaywithin.me or g at thewaywithin.me. Send me an email and I'd love to hear from you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast or show, whatever you want to call it. Peace. You're ready to wake up, you're going to wake up. And if you're not ready, you're going to stay pretending that you're just a little, poor little me. And uh, since you're all here and engaged in this sort of inquiry and listening to this sort of lecture, I assume that you're all on the process of waking up. And as you wake up, a funny thing starts to happen. You'll start to see the world in a different light. And eventually when you're ready, you'll start to look within. Who are you? This show was created to assist you on your journey. Welcome to The Way Within. The type of person I am is I'm always looking for new experiences. And, you know, along the way somewhere I met Mike through Collective Evolution. And I found he was a very similar guy that was always pushing the limits and just being, being authentic and being out there. Um, and he does a lot of amazing things as well, which we'll get into when we do an interview with him right after this one. Um, so yeah, this is Mike. He's an amazing guy. He's a good friend of mine. He is an author. He is a businessman. He is a great friend and one of the most grooviest, amazing dancers you'll ever meet in your life. And he can do handstands like no tomorrow. <laughs> so the story starts, um, I invited him up to Luminous, which is a retreat center where we were working on at the time just to come and check it out. And we were planning maybe a potential retreat there, event with Lovolution. And when he gets there, he starts telling me about Burning Man. And I'd heard about Burning Man a couple of times before, but I didn't really know anyone that was enthusiastic enough to really go there and go there multiple times. So he asked me, he thought I, I, sh- I could get something out of it. And I was really skeptical at the time. Do you remember what you said to me? Well, yeah, I mean, I was heading into my fourth year in a row at Burning Man, and we were hosting a camp for the very first time. And just having spoken with Gio a number of times, I knew that he would absolutely love the experience because, I mean, for me, Burning Man is the manifestation of human potential. And it's just this other dimensional experience where, like, the dreamscape and physical reality collide. And it's just infinite possibilities there. So when I was speaking with Gio and hearing you know, what he's interested in, I knew it would be a place that he would really thrive and, you know, gain a lot from. So this is how we sort of framed it to me. He's using all these incredible, this guy's probably got the most incredible vocabulary of all people that I know, where he uses the perfect metaphors at the perfect times. So he's, he's talking about this dreamlike place where anything is possible, the manifestation of our highest potential in real time, where all these 70,000 people get together. And I'm like, okay buddy I'm sure I'm sure it's great but you know it sounds kind of weird and but I like weird I like 
things that are different. And I'm thinking in my head, you know, my wife will never let me go. And I don't know, because at the time we we're friends, but like, I wouldn't say we're the closest friends. Um, you know, I, I knew him, but you know, like I usually go on things like this with people that I'm really close with because I know that you got that back up there. And so he just said, um, you remember what you said? I said, just set the intention to go because tickets can oftentimes be hard to come by if you're not committed to it. But if you are committed to it, the tickets always appear in your life somehow, some way. So I just explained to you, or just set the intention to go and you'll be there. Yeah. So I set the intention and I was like, okay, I'll set the intention. We'll see what happens. So the likelihood in my head at this time of going was probably less than 5%. <laughs> uh, but I was like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll humor this intention setting uh, practice here because, you know, I know the power of intentions. Um, and, and time went on and Mike would call me from time to time and he's like, hey, if you put any thought into it, I, I, got, I got one ticket that just came up. Um, I really think you should come. And I was like, I don't know. I really hadn't really talked to my wife. I mentioned it to her and she told me I was crazy. But my <laughs> wife tells me I'm crazy on a regular basis. So um, it wasn't anything new. But it just kept coming up and I talked to her and I just really feel this resistance. And it was getting closer to the date and it was probably early August at this point. Um, I think the OMG sale was first week of August. Yeah, it's around then, which is just, it's a sale where they release the final 1,000 tickets. So there's 70,000 tickets available, but, you know, the first 40,000 are released and there's 100,000 people buying for them. So they disappear in a second, like they sell out that quickly. So then later on, they they save 1,000 just for, you know, people who are at the last minute. And that's what Gio was looking at at that time. And, And so I'm thinking about going and I'm not really sure. I sort of had a real conversation with my wife. And she wasn't crazy about it. And there's a lot of negotiation that went on in that conversation, but I'm not going to talk about that. Um, and I basically put it down to, you know, if I get into this OMG sale and I'm, I can get tickets, I think I should go. And I knew the probability of getting them through this sale was very unlikely. So the day comes of the sale and I log on. I remember I was up at Luminous and I was talking to my friend Enum, who is uh, Wim Hof's son, who we have another podcast coming out on. And I invited him to come with me. Um, and I thought, you know, if we get these tickets, he's like, yeah, I've been hearing about people telling me. He's like, yeah, if you get the tickets, I'll come. So I go into the sale and basically the site crashes. There was just way too much traffic trying to get in there. My computer crashes and I'm like, oh shit, you know, what do I do? I refresh my computer, my screen, and I'm automatically into the checkout for two tickets <laughs> for the OMG sale. And I didn't know what was going on. I was like, I think I got in. I think this is it. And so I purchased the tickets, called up Enum. I said, we're good to go. And um, I started asking people in the group and other people if, if they had tickets. And everyone's like, I tried the OMG sale. I couldn't get in. It was impossible. I refreshed. I was waiting online for two days. And I was like, wow, man, I, I got really lucky on this one. I, I guess I'm supposed to be there. So, you know, again, talking with my wife, she only allowed me to go for, um, and I say allow, um, because I felt that was, I had to really compromise. I got two kids for four nights. So I was arriving on the Wednesday and I was leaving on the Sunday morning. So I was supposed to stay for the, the man burn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just so you guys know, it's a, it's an eight day experience in the desert seven or eight nights um i was actually out there for 12 or 13 just because i was setting up a camp and helping build it and tear it down but yeah geo was going to come for four of those nights so i I planned my charter flight so i flew right into the playa because it cost me a little bit extra but you know i didn't i was really worried about renting a car and and lugging my stuff there and then getting out and and i wanted to spend as much time as possible because going for such a short duration and i was reading up the 10 principles of burning man um which um, they make a lot of sense. 
And I realized after that, maybe I wasn't doing my whole part by just flying in and flying out. There's a term they call the weekenders. And at some point during that trip, I started hearing that and I felt like they were referring to me, but I'll get into that a little bit later on in the story. So I bought a yurt that um, someone was supposed to pick up. The RV didn't make it, but someone else in our camp was able to pick it up. It's actually someone I knew from Toronto, but we didn't know that at the time. And just all the synchronicities happened so that I could get there. And I made it there in one piece. <laughs> and uh, I got there and I flew in on this little tiny jet, uh, six-seater, um, over the mountains, crazy turbulence. Um, we landed and I was in the middle of the desert. And I see 70,000 people, which is a bit overwhelming. The bus ride from the airport to... Uh, our camp took over 45 minutes. Uh, they could go really slow and he made a little bit of detour. But the camp of 70,000 people, um, if you guys are familiar with Toronto, it's it's like the size of a, a metropolitan city. Um, so picture from Toronto, you're looking at from about uh, Casaloma, which is Spadina and... Um, Bloor-ish? Or no, south of Bloor, I think. No, I think it's north of Bloor. Yeah, okay. Eglinton. Eglinton, right. let's just say Eglinton to Lakeshore. And you're going as far um, as Dufferin and uh, to the west and as far east like Jarvis. And, and there's a lot of uh, maps online. You can see it sort of um, over like imposed on a city landscape. Like Seattle is like the whole metropolitan Seattle. And so imagine this with nothing but um, incredible designed camps with parties and the craziest sculptures and art cars. It's just like mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Yeah, Especially, it's, it's like Alice in Wonderland meets Charlie and the Chocolate Factory meets No Country for Old Men meets Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas meets Avatar meets every other psychedelic altogether. space sci-fi you can think of. So I get there and you got to remember one thing. It's the middle of the desert. So during the day, it's like scorching hot. During the night, it gets really cold. <laughs> and there's wind storms that come out of nowhere um, to make it even more difficult. So it's really dry. Your eyes feel dry. Your skin feels dry. There's dust blowing everywhere. Um, and you have to bring water out there. You have to bring supplies out there. Luckily, um, I brought a bunch of water last minute because I thought there'd be water to camp. And then before I left, I saw a Facebook update said we ran out of water. And I haven't got there yet. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm going to die out here. <laughs> but, you know, now I know I can go a couple of days without water. I'm on my 20th day of my juice fast. Um, so I just did a 24-hour dry fast, 48-hour, 45-hour dry fast. But anyways, back to there. So I get there, and um, Enam's not there. He's out wandering around. He got there early to help set up on, on my behalf. I'm really grateful for that. And um, I just felt weird. I don't know what it was. Some sort of anxiety. Like I was there sort of by myself. So Enum, I, I only met a couple times before this. Mike, you know, we had been friends and talking a bit more going into it. So I felt a little bit comfortable. I knew he was there with his girlfriend and his really close friends. Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't want to call it imposing. But, you know, I didn't feel like I was right in part of the group of the whole camp, let's just say. Um, but I know they are very welcoming and amazing people, so it helped me feel a little bit better. So Enam got the bikes for us, so I didn't know where he was, so I didn't know which bike was mine. Um, and I didn't see him from when I got there till like 2 in the morning. So I, I spent my time uh, the first night around the camp, danced, partied, um, and went to sleep pretty early because I just wasn't feeling up to it to stay up all night. And I didn't have a bike. And so without a bike, it's, it's very difficult to get around. You know, You don't want to go too far out of your radius of your camp. Um, the bathrooms were a 20 minute walk so it, it was uh, a little bit of a mission just to go take a piss yeah and even just like at nighttime the landscape there can be pretty disorienting because it's you, you don't have your bearings there you're not familiar with any of the landmarks it took me about i'd say 
a full two years to really understand how to navigate the geographical space of Burning Man because it's so vast. And, you know, at the nighttime, you're just seeing all these cool psychedelic lights flashing in all these different directions, but you can get spun around so easily. So your very first night, like, you're going to have no idea where you're going. So Enam comes back about four in the morning and he shows me where my bike is. It was perfect timing because I had to go take a piss. It seems like everything happens perfectly at Burning Man, whether you believe that or not. Perfectly good and perfectly bad. <laughs> so I take the bike out. I go to the bathroom. I say I'm out now. I might as well go for a lap around. So I went for a, a long ride out to the, the farthest point I could go to. And there's a little fence there that's there to collect garbage. And they say people shouldn't wander past that for safety reasons. I saw the robot, robot heart uh, bus there playing uh, in the morning. I hung around for a few minutes. And uh, Mayan Warrior was close by as well. Checked that out for a bit. And I, and I wandered back. I said, okay, today's the day I'm going to do everything. The next day was a friend of ours, bachelor party, Eric, who got married um, on the playa the following day. And so we went out to the temple. There's some video. If you're listening to audio, there's some video of us going out to the temple on the YouTube channel. Um, and I had an amazing day. And I went through, went to the skate park. I just checked out everything and anything I could, trying to absorb it all in. And just saw some of the magic there. And everything was just, like, fantastic. I was getting ready for what I thought was going to be the most epic night of my life uh, in a different way than it actually happened. So we get back and um, Aquatic Mind was playing that night and the, the most beautiful sunset and just everything was just perfect. And I just felt great. And I was hanging out at our camp with all these friends that I was just bonding with, like Mike and some of Mike's friends that he introduced me with. And the night finishes and I think, you know, this night's where we're going to really go explore in the evening. So I'm trying to see if we can get a big group together. Um, but the thing you got to remember about Burning Man is you turn a corner and you're going to lose someone. You're not going to see it. There's no cell phone reception. There's no way to communicate. Um, it's like a maze. Like there's tents everywhere. Like you, you can turn a corner very easily and you'll never see anyone for a couple of days maybe. You know? Perhaps even the rest of your life if, if you don't know where that person lives. You know, if you just met him, you may never see them again. Ever again, exactly. Um, and so a group of 10 over half an hour of me trying to get my stuff together, get the bike everywhere, ended up there was only like four of us left. And I almost lost them at that point too. Where I turned a corner, I had to get my flashlight, came back and they were gone. Um, so at that point, um, Mike said, are we going to go on a journey tonight? And I sort of understood what he was referring to. Um, so he gave me uh, a substance um, to enhance our uh, evening festivities. <laughs> um, which, you know, I, I set the intention at Burning Man, I'm going to go with the flow. And what happens at Burning Man, you know, I'm just going to go with it. Because um, as you know, I'm making a documentary about psychedelics. So I, I do believe in the... Um, the impact they can have if used in the right context. And I don't, I don't know if I was using the right context that night because I usually like to use them um, in a ceremonial type context, but I felt there was some sort of ceremonial context going on that night. So we set an intention and we rode off, me, Mike, his girlfriend, Megan, and Enum. And we started riding and I put my, my GoPro on, which is again, the video that you're gonna see. And we, we stopped at the first stop was this big installation of the Medusa. And I didn't know at the time what it was even called. Um, and Mike's girlfriend wasn't feeling well, so he asked if we could just stop there for a few minutes um, to relax. They got off the bike, and they went for a walk to the bathroom. And I was like, okay, we'll wait here for them to get back. So we're there, me and Enum staring at this 12-headed snake, or 8-headed, I don't even know how many there were. And Enum's like, this thing is not making me feel good. <laughs> it's creepy, I don't like it, I'm gonna take off. And I'm like, okay. Like, where are you gonna go? He's like, oh, that thing burning in the distance? I'm gonna go check that out. And just <laughs> something was just burning in the distance. I'm like, okay, perfect, I'll, I'll meet you there as soon as they come back, because I don't wanna leave their bike here. 
And as soon as he pedaled that first pedal off, I realized I'm probably not going to see this guy for the rest of the night. So Mike and Megan come back, and they're like, we're just going to walk a bit. She's not feeling well. We don't know what we're going to do. And I was like, hey, what do I do? I was taking the hint that they wanted to be alone, uh, maybe. Maybe she wasn't feeling sick. Maybe she was. But if she was really feeling sick, I really didn't want to just follow them around. I thought they needed some space. So I decided that I was going to go try and find Enum. And at this point, I was by myself. And it was sort of like the whole evening was almost like I was being pushed to be alone. Everything, everyone was trying to like, let's do something, let's hang out, let's thing. It was like, I saw very quickly, okay, maybe this is about me having my own journey tonight. So I go to that fire, no Enum to be found. And I start riding around and um, it was just magic. I just saw the most amazing things where I felt like a kid. I felt like I didn't know what I was going to see next and I love that. And it's just... What do you find? You find this inverted flame burning on a ceiling in the desert where people are lying underneath like they're looking at the sun. There's a, a circular room with people writing things all over the walls. Um, there's these towers that are the lighthouse that are built. They look like they're going to fall apart. And there's people walking through them. And I started looking at them like I didn't even know if the line was real or not. I, I didn't know if people were pretending to be in line. There's a lot of tricksters there. Um, and they, they set up these sort of, uh, I guess, installations where you don't know what, what the purpose is yet. So you sort of got to sit there and figure it out. And it took me to this um, this old 1950s style. Um, I guess it was an art card. They had a they were set up. They're all dressed up the same. And I got there, and here I am in my dragon onesie, um, wandering around. And I got my backpack on. I got my water. And there's a pirate ship and this old sort of megaphone. And when I get there, I feel like people are starting to look at me a bit strange. And um, I'm not making nothing of it, and I get to uh, where they're making this they this crazy coffee contraption where they're making coffee, and I'm just standing there, and I see them making people coffee, and I'm sort of waiting to see if I can get one or not. I don't really even want coffee, but I was just curious to see what it tastes like, and I got on my mug, and no one was really telling me what I had to do, but I, I realized it's about Burning Man. It's more like just get involved and sort of help make your own coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just observing for a few minutes, and people are sort of looking at me strange, and I thought I saw the guy, um, Shooter McGavin, I think he was there, uh, from Happy Gilmore, just drinking coffee. I could have swore it was him, but I didn't want to ask him because I thought it was weird. Um, and I started wandering around. I feel like people were looking at me funny, but I took nothing of it. I said, you know what, I'm going to keep riding. I ride around. I see Mind Warrior. I start dancing a bit. And I'm like, this is just amazing. Like, this is just so much fun. I need to go find some friends to come and enjoy this with me. Mm-hmm. So I find my way back to the camp. And I see a bunch of people sitting outside. I have no idea what time it is. I- I'm going to assume it's probably about 1 o'clock in the morning. And as soon as I get there, everyone's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to bed now. And the guys said, I not want to come. They're like, no, we're all tired. And I was like, okay, what's going on here? Are they purposely want me to go out on my own? Is this like a virgin Burning Man thing where, like, the, the first night out, it's like your own experience. No one's coming with you. You got to – you gotta. this is the things that are going through my head. And I'm like, I'm not going to challenge anybody and force anybody, obviously, because it's not my character, nor would I want to do that to anybody. But I figured, okay, I'm going to pack up on some water, and I'm going to head out again. Mm-hmm. So I head out the other direction. And I feel like I crossed like a line into a different world. It starts getting dark and I'm starting to see like these installations that are mocking like reality, like just the dark side of like, there was this place called suburbia that looked like this really crappy, like why would you want to live in a suburb type thing? And there's these other ones that they just like, everything started looking really crappy and dusty and not good where there was like an installation of a park burning down. There's actually actors walking through the park, like kids dressed up and like, it looked like it was like in, in embers. And I was like, this is really dark. I was like, where am I going? But obviously I kept going. And I come to the stage, um, was the band playing and the music's like some folk rock type mu- music. 
and everyone again seems like they're dressed pretty similar like they're all part of you know one camp or one crew and I parked my bike and and at this point when I went back to um, when I went back to sort of recharge I took my GoPro off because the battery had died so that's the only reason why I still didn't have it on my bike and as I'm walking, like, like think about 100 people, and it's like scattered a lot closer to the stage, and people are scattered. I'm walking just around the, per- the perimeter, and the guy on stage, like, they're in between songs, they're just playing something, and he's like, hey, I remember my first Burning Man. What a magical, what a magical experience. And I'm like, oh, it's my first Burning Man. That's awesome. And as I'm walking a little bit closer, he's like, yeah, that's it. Come on up a little closer. Get on up here. And I'm looking at people, no one's looking me in the eye. They're just looking out of the corner of their eyes. And I'm like, is he talking to me? Like, I'm smiling, I'm laughing. It's funny. Like, I'm like, is this some sort of, like, experience that they're creating here? I didn't know any what was going on at this point. So I'm slowly making my way up, and this guy's taunting me forward. And he's like, yeah, that's it. Keep coming. You know, talking about first-timers. And and I see people looking at me, and people, like, sort of bumping me. And I can still easily get by, but I feel like people are sort of restricting my path a bit. And I'm like, okay, I'm laughing. This is funny. (laughs) And I get really close to the front, so two or three rows out, and it's like, yeah, you made it. And as I'm at the front, um, the people are turning around and telling me to leave. Like, you shouldn't be here. Like, don't don't go. What are you doing? Get out of here. In this weird sort of dark but sort of like joking kind of way, it seemed like. And I wasn't sure if they were being serious or if they were testing me. Um, so I didn't want to really start any conflict. So I turn around to leave. And then he's like, oh, that's what I thought. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, this is a test. Okay. So at that point, I turn around and I'm like, okay, I'm going for it. I'm, I'm going up on stage because I'm thinking, maybe I'm going to get up there. And I'm like, yeah, welcome to Burning Man. You did it. You overcame your doubt and your fear. And, you know, you came in this crowd and you got up on stage. I didn't know what was going to happen. So I go to jump up on the stage. I push my hands up. I'm about to, like, get my knee up there. And all of a sudden, someone hits me so hard. I go flying. I do a 360 and I land face first in the dirt. And I'm like, what the I just happened, you know, like, so I get up and as I'm getting up, um, people are grabbing me and they're pulling me. They rip off my head mask. They rip off my bandana. They rip my necklace. Um, they're, they're holding me and I'm like sort of ripping out of my costume and it's ripping and I'm ripping it to just try to get free. Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to be fighting to get on stage or fighting to get out. I don't know what's going on now. Then I feel like someone pulling on my necklace and they're saying, I hear it's, it's not breaking. And uh, then I feel like I'm getting choked. And the next thing I remember is waking up on the floor and they're like, oh, he's, he's, he's awake. And, uh, and a couple guys grab me up and they start walking me out. And I'm feeling my face. I've gone to a few fights before in my life or got a, a beer ball over my head at a bar once when I was younger. And I'm feeling like, okay, my teeth are here, no blood, no nothing. And I'm like, if they really want to hurt me, they could have stomped on my face. They could have beat me up in all kinds of ways. You know, a few scratches from the struggle, but that was it. And these guys are like, um, you have to leave. And I'm like, what happened? What was that? What, why did you do that to me? Like, what was the purpose of this? What's wrong with you? Are you, are you human beings? And like, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from Earth. I'm a human being. How could you treat me like this? Um, and at this point, I'm just in my underwears and my shoes. I have nothing. No water. It's or freezing. Too. It's freezing. Yeah, it's middle of the night. And they're like, drink this. You're going to need it. And I'm like, I'm holding it. I'm not sure. I don't even know what's in here. And he's like, and he takes it and drinks it first and gives it back to me. So I felt a little bit safer. And I might need this. I drink it. And, um, and, I, and I was like, I wanted to go back. And they're like, yo, here's your stuff. And it was a bunch of stuff that wasn't even mine. It was the most random, it was like a random, like I, I remember seeing like light green Crocs. Like in my mind, there was no way any of the stuff he was offering me was mine. It was almost like it was a joke. And I'm like, that's not my stuff. Like 
I don't want it. Get that shit out of here. I turn around and I walk off into the darkness. No bike, no clothes. Underwear, shoes, and that's it, and my necklace. And a, a ranger comes, and I feel like he's part of these guys. He's like, oh, what happened? Are you okay? And I'm trying to explain to him what happened. I'm like, I'm fine. He's like, you can't walk here in the dark. You're going to get hit by a car, or the cops are going to see you. He's saying all these weird things, like, you're going to get arrested. And I'm just like, buddy, just don't even talk to me. Like, you don't even know what just happened. Like, you can't help me. Like, because he, he's, I saw him dressed in this ranger uniform, but it looked like a costume that was silly to me at the time. And I start walking, and as I'm walking through the darkness, like, people are still mocking me. People are saying, oh, first time, or oh, you must be cold. Oh, I bet you're coming back next year. <laughs> like, like just the most negative, like, things to just put me down and not make me feel good. So I'm like, I got to find my way back. But like he said, so disorienting. And I feel like people there, it's almost like a joke of telling people the wrong direction. Or they just, they straight up don't know. Or they don't know. So I ask people directions and they say this way as I start walking down with, they say, oh no, I think it's that way. And this goes on all night. People are coming, hey friend, how are you? And like, friend, you gonna offer me a jacket or something or a sweater? But I don't know how I was reacting, but I felt like everyone was mocking me or saying things that were negative to me about my experience so far. You kind of felt like everybody was in on it, right? Everyone was in on it. I felt like I heard the same music as I was going through different, um, the music that they played at that sort of stage, I felt like I heard it remixed in like different music. I felt like I could hear like radios talking like, oh, he's coming, wow. oh, he's, he's, he's here now. So it felt like there was like 70,000 people were sort of in on it. I, I wouldn't say 70, I wasn't thinking 70 at the time, but I thought there was some sort of system where that, like this thing would happen and then they could follow me Funnel you to, like, and they would you know, follow me to right. a different experience. And like, they were like keeping an eye on me, like the ranger, or, like different people yeah. that would come up and check on me. So I thought there was something going on and I didn't know what, and I was just like, whatever. And I find this little fire, after walking around for hours and freezing, I find this little fire burning um, beside a penguin with two like charcoal eyes. Naturally. Um, and I just sat there and the fire felt so nice and I, I was I had this moment of gratitude for so many things but one was to find this fire which is such an elemental thing that we take for granted is warmth yeah. and I had so much gratitude for my underwears and shoes which I never think about I put them on unconsciously in the morning and I, and I started thinking about all the people that don't have underwears or shoes I started thinking about people that don't have fire and I started thinking about that when the sun rises, I'll be able to find my way home. But how many people out there don't have that knowing what the sun rises tomorrow, they're going to have the same situation over again. Yeah, they don't have a home to go to. They don't have nothing to go to, yeah. you know? And I started thinking about these kind of things. Um, and it started really, I started really feeling good mm -hmm. about the situation. Although I was still in shock of what happened. And some people would come by the fire and they were saying rude things to me about, you know, what's your first burning man? <laughs> Oh, you're, you must be a weekender, or like, where'd you get that tattoo? Like, just, <laughs> like, just, and I'm just uh, like, I didn't want conflict, so I was just amusing them yeah. and being funny back. Um, and I was just like, I just want to get out of here. I just want to get out of where I am right now, but I don't know where to go. I'm walking around all night. And then guy starts talking about these pyramids. He's like, aren't you going to watch the pyramids burn? I remember the night before when I was doing my uh, positive journey, the first half, I saw these pyramids. Yeah. And I was like, well, are you going to burn this? You guys must have spent all week to burn it. And I'm thinking about the environment and how they talk about leave no trace. And at this point, um, the sun's rising and I start heading towards these pyramids. And they're like 70 feet tall probably. They're, they're massive, there's yeah. three, like, they look like legitimate Egyptian pyramids that people have constructed in the middle of the desert for this experience exclusively. 
And I remember seeing them in the distance and I start walking toward them. As I'm walking, I'm, I'm looking at all the, the camps and installations and everything looked like shit to me. Mm. It looked like it was done like crap. <laughs> and like, it was just like low quality. When I got to our camp, I honestly thought it wasn't our camp. Mm. I thought there was a mock of our camp and you guys moved the camp and went somewhere else. <laughs> Like for all these people who are not real burners, they're gonna come back. We're gonna take off on them after this first night. Like I don't know. At this point, my mind was in shambles. It was like, it just like broke. And I got to the camp. Um, I put on a sweater, and no one was up. It was probably like like sunrise. Mm-hmm. And I walked out to these pyramids. And uh, it was the most magical thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I see all these people that are taking pictures with their camera. And like even at Burning Man, people are still like fixed to their camera. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the principles is about um, I think it's about being in the moment or spontaneity. Immediacy. Immediacy. So like be immediately in the moment. And I think the biggest hypocrisy of immediacy is a, a cell phone. Mm. You know, and I was so grateful that I didn't have one because this whole experience where I just absorbed the most amazing sunrise of these pyramids burning in the distance, and I'll never forget that for the rest of my life. And I think the important moments in your life you don't need a camera to capture because you're going to miss them in the moment. Uh, so that came out strong and the fact that they're burning all this stuff I know it's leave no trace there in the middle of the desert which is great um, but it's being felt elsewhere where you're using all this fossil fuel you're burning all these things um, you're just coming in there like there's no green energy there's no solar energy there's no clean energy there not from what I could see anyways there's a little solar but very limited for the yeah. amount that it's using so I, I felt there was a lot of hypocrisy at this point my whole mind is trying to find everything wrong with Burning Man so you gotta remember that too because um, I had this, this experience and I come back to camp, and that's when I see Mike. And he can probably tell what he saw of me. But from Yeah, I mean, I had just come back from a, I don't know, at that point. By the time I saw you, probably like a 14 to 16, 18-hour journey with my girlfriend. That was the most profound experience she or I had ever had. And we came back to the camp in this, like, the highest of spirits imaginable having traversed through the entire cosmos and coming to all these magical realizations and just feeling better than ever and then coming back to the camp and I saw the look in Giovanni's eyes and it looked like something was like wrestling with his soul or trying to steal it from him and I just knew I'm like holy shit like he has gone through something and I'm gonna be there for him and so then he started uh sharing with me do you remember what you're saying i i just remember um i just remember trying to blame others which is which is something common in our society when something happens to you try to find blame like whose fault is it and i was like why did you invite me here why didn't you tell me that this was going to happen <laughs> why didn't you let me know there were people like that on the playa that would do things like this like everything was about why and i was trying to find blame and I remember people trying to talk to me but all i heard was it was like slow motion i, I didn't want to listen i was just angry what 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 was it from your perspective yeah it was the same thing like you asked me why i brought you there and i was like man i mean i invited you here and we created this camp we wanted you to come but like you you chose to come you know like you chose this experience and when he was telling me about the rudeness he was experiencing on the playa like i found it quite surprising because i've never encountered any of that and i i wasn't sure if he had been hallucinating or like what his experience was and he was giving me sort of fragmented details of what he just told you like you know he said he got beat up and in my mind I'm like oh my god like no that that can't happen like why would anybody beat you up here like it's such a place of love but I could tell he was going through it and his experience was real to him and I really couldn't 
have a legitimate opinion on whether or not it did or did not happen just because I think it wouldn't have doesn't mean it didn't and but yeah I could tell like here my friend is and he's in a state of disarray and like and he wasn't you know I was trying to be there for him but I also wasn't um gonna like you know get on my knees and beg him to forgive me or anything I'm like all right like Giovanni's going through something like I'm here for him but maybe he just needs to you know let allow it to run its course yeah, and so then um, I think it was Vanessa, another friend of uh, one of the Lovelution members. She came, she gave me a hug. She's like, "Yeah, I just gotta go, go rest, get some sleep." She brought me a bowl of food, which I'm so grateful for because I wouldn't have been able to make it to the kitchen, or nor did I want to. And I just I went in my my tent and I cried all day. I don't know why. I just felt this sadness, like I was releasing something. Uh, I'd been shattered, and I had all these expectations of what Burning Man was going to be like, and I was like, "This is not what I anything what I thought." And it brings me to, you know, back on having a clear intention. I just had an intention to go there, but I didn't have an intention of what I wanted to happen there. And I thought I was going to be partying in magic for four days and I had the most difficult experience of my life. And the next day, you know, I stayed in there most of the day and that evening was the wedding. So I got out for the wedding. Um, they got married. I hung out most of the night. I had no bike at this point, um, so I couldn't really go out much, nor did I really feel like it. And... Um, I just went to sleep. I stuck by the fire and, and thank God my friend Diana was there. And we just talked and we went for a little walk and, you know, talked about intentions and, you know, what I was expecting to get out of it. And I realized how I wasn't really clear on it and I should be more clear. And that next morning, um, we went to go watch the sunrise. And uh, I was like, you know what? I, th I feel like I should get out of here. I feel like there's not much left for me here. I had my experience. I'm not going to turn around and party right now. I'm going to go to the airport, and if there's a flight leaving this morning, if there's a sign that I can get on, I'm going to leave. I was supposed to leave the next morning after the man burn. So I walked like an hour. No, actually, I took Enum's bike to go there. Um, it took like, I don't know, half hour to ride my bike there. And I got there, and they're like, yeah, if you can get back here by, uh, I think it was like 9. If you can get back here by 10, you can catch this flight. There's a lot of room on it. And I was like, I better move. So I sprinted my bike back. I packed up what I thought was good. All the stuff that I thought was going to remind me of Burning Man, I just started leaving it there. I said, you guys can keep this. There's it's kind enough to leave us a bunch of food. Gio always gives me a bunch of food. So. <laughs> there was food. There was some costumes. There was just stuff that I was like, I don't need this stuff in my life. You know, I want to forget this experience, which we'll come back in a few minutes. And I got my luggage. I said my goodbyes to whoever's around. And I just went on this march to that airport because I was like I am leaving <laughs> now and I got there within an hour and it was far and it was hot and it was dry and I was just on a mission flew back to San Fran and there was no flights out that day back so to I, Toronto back to Toronto so I had to stay there by myself for a day and just reflect which was good I was in my hotel room washing all my stuff getting all the dust off I don't want to see the, any more dust anymore and thank God the hotel had a laundry room that I could use and I started throwing out things that were going to remind me of Burning Man um, and then I stopped because I felt like we do that a lot where we try to forget the difficult experiences but at this point I already had the gratitude for the socks and the underwear and I was like I gotta remember this because I gotta remember any time that I feel like I don't have gratitude or you know like things are not good I gotta remember this moment because it'll bring me back to having nothing because you can you can pay for the best experiences you can try to make good experiences but the bad ones you can't they happen to you and in the bad experience in life, that's where the most of the magic happens. When you're outside your comfort zone, that's where the growth happens. And I started thinking about that a lot. It's like, wow, you know, that was really important for me to experience that because I never experienced anything like that. I never came from a place of struggle um, to that extent where all, so many people are going through. So I had not the same perspective, but I had a glimpse into the perspective of having nothing. And it was, it was life-changing. 
And then I go to um, the next day, I go to the airport. I'm looking for a football magazine because it's, it's, it's the start of football season next week. And I do this pool with all my friends where I'm the commissioner. And I've been doing it for 10 years. Uh, but I've been losing interest for the last few years. I, don't, I wonder why. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I was like, you know what? I need to brush up on my fantasy football. I need to find a football magazine. San Francisco Airport for sure is going to be all kinds of them. Yeah, San Francisco a football city. So, not one San, not one magazine to do with football in the whole airport. Wow. So I get to this big stand and I'm looking at it. And in the middle of the stand, there's this little red book. And on the cover of the book, there's two pyramids, which automatically brought me back to the burning, the two burning pyramids the day before. And I look at it, it's The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. And I'm like, wow, I've had this book at home. Someone bought it, I bought it for myself, then someone bought it for me, and I still haven't read it yet. I go, this is not a sign. Yeah. It's not a sign I should read this book. Like, I don't know what it is. So I pick it up and I buy it. I end up reading it. Um, the whole ride home, I finished the book. And the story is about a guy named Santiago, just spoiler alert if you, haven't, if you haven't read it, that goes on this quest. He has a dream where he wakes up and um, he's in this church that with the roof caved in and a sycamore tree growing out and he sees this treasure in a far off land with these two pyramids beside it and there's a treasure there for him and he goes on this journey through deserts through sandstorms through uh, you know merchants and 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 this meets a girl that doesn't want him to go i'm thinking about like my wife how she didn't want me to go business partners you know having to leave that behind from the business that i do all of this conflict and and sandstorms like wow this is my story too, this is my story and when he gets to the pyramids he starts digging, and these two robbers come. They beat him up, and they steal all the stuff. And they start laughing at him. And he's like, guys, I had, I, I had this dream. There's, there's a treasure here. Just spare my life, and you can have the treasure. And the robbers laugh at him and say, um, you know, I had this dream once where I, was, I woke up under a, a sycamore tree in a, in a church with the roof caved in, and there's a treasure there. But you think I'm stupid enough to go on a crazy journey to go see if it's actually there? It's a dream, you idiot. Like, wake up. And it hit me so hard, and I was like, wow, I have so much treasure at home. I have so much gold and things that I'm working on and amazing people. And But I had to go on this journey across the continent, have this difficult experience to really understand it and really see that treasure that I have back here. So Santiago goes home and he finds his treasure. It's, it was there all along. But he has now this whole perspective to view, the, this new lens to view the world in. So I got it. I got the reason why I went. I understood it. Everything was great, you know, and I felt gratitude for the experience. I felt gratitude for this book telling me. And then I come back to Toronto and and basically everything's normal for two weeks. And I'm thinking like about these people that did this to me. Like I'm trying to find blame for them. I'm like, I wonder who did it. I look online and yeah, there's some stories of violence at Burning Man. Like it's not like everything it's made up to be. It's more, but there's good and bad there like anything. And I had this gratitude for seeing the good and bad in the same setting. The same things I saw, one day I saw it as magical, blissful, and perfect. And the next day I saw it as dark and shitty and horrible. Mm. Um, but that's life. It's how you look at the world. It's how you're going to see it. Um, so my friend Matt Belair, who we did a podcast with, he comes to hang out at Luminous. And we hang out all day and I tell him this Burning Man story. And he starts freaking out. He goes, I'm like, why are you freaking out? He's like... I have a friend who had the same experience, but it wasn't at Burning Man. It was on a Friday night in his hometown, and he wasn't on any substances. Because at this point, I'm thinking, maybe I was, a, I was an asshole. I walked up to that stage, and I tried to barrel my way to the front, and they were like, who is this guy? Let's get him out of here. That's, that's a possibility. Very low probability in my mind, because I've tried some of these substances before, and I've never felt 
ever that I heard someone saying things to me mm -hmm. continuously in a way. So his friend, uh, and this is a crazy story, basically, and I ended up connecting with his friend and, and hearing and hearing it firsthand, was going to the gym on a Friday night, and I started typing some stuff in his phone about a book he was writing, and across the street there was this dive bar um, that was really never anyone there. He starts hearing this music playing, and as he's typing in his phone, they're singing the lyrics to his words. The band is singing it, and as he stops typing, they would hold their note until they keep typing. And he's like, what the hell is this? So he goes up there, there's this huge lineup, and everyone's looking at him like, yeah, that's him, there he is. And the bouncer just allows him to walk right in. And he goes in, he goes upstairs, and he walks in, the place is packed, and there's one seat right in the front of the stage that's available. And he's like, everyone's looking at him, the music changes when he gets in there, like, hey, you're here, you made it. And he's like, what the hell? And, and a few other things, uh, but I'll leave the details out. And basically, he feels like he's in an episode of Punked, because um, he thinks maybe some of his friends are playing a trick on him. And... He sees this open microphone on the stage, and the singer who's playing guitar, when he's not playing, is like just waving him over. And all the descriptions of the band were very similar between us, like what, what I saw, what he saw. And so he goes up to, on the stage thinking that that's when it's going to end, and they tell him to get off the stage. Bouncer grabs him, puts him in a chair at the front, and says, you can't go up on stage. Immediately he feels the need to get out of there. He walks out, and everyone's like, hey, that's the guy. And he's just getting upset. As he's walking, all, as he's walking home, people are saying, that's the guy. And they're just whispering things like the same to me. And he's just getting upset. He's like, what do you mean? Who am I? Like, what are you trying to, what are you trying to say? And he heard the song all the way back to his house, which is impossible to hear it. Yeah. The next day he goes there, the band that was supposed to play didn't play. And there was some other band that filled in for them that no one knew who they were. They had no website. They weren't online anywhere. Um, he had to go back because he left his water bottle there. So this is a common water bottle theme. All these, all these similar themes that, that um, come into play. And that freaked me out. And I was like, is someone trying to mess with me? Maybe I tapped into something. Or maybe something is trying to get my attention. Um, so I thought about that for a while. And, and it kept bringing my, my attention back to the situation. Because I felt like I hadn't got everything out of it that I needed to. That maybe some of these energies are real that are, that are, that are here. And I had never really thought about that. I was dismissing it as whatever. Um, and then I asked a couple of people what they thought about the experience that were intuitives or, or stuff like that. And I had a really interesting call with um, a, a psychic medium who we're going to have on the show to talk about this specifically, who said she saw the Medusa. And I didn't tell her about the Medusa. And she felt like she invoked the Medusa energy where I'm going back and I'm thinking, wow, you know, like that was that was what started the night. Yeah, we, and the sculpture is like 30 feet tall. Yeah, it's huge. it's huge. And it was like we almost like maybe the substance opened us up to that energy and then maybe it followed us around because she said she could see some energy following me around she could see my light and she could see the others around me had a lot darker maybe they were drinking of alcoholic lower vibrational uh, things i was allowing this darkness to sort of tap into them mm -hmm. and create this experience for me mm -hmm. um so we'll talk more about that when we talk to kelly but that really stuck with me and i was like wow um that's pretty freaky and it makes sense because it felt like it was it was following me around, yeah. and I felt like the same thing was following um, following this other guy around. But what what I came to it is is that overall it doesn't really matter. Where I'm trying to find a blame for someone who they did it, why they did it, I felt like the experience happened to me for a reason, and it doesn't matter how it affected everyone else because those were just instruments for this experience to happen to me, whether it was intentional or not. It's what I get all the experience, and that's what you got to take away in life. Is everything that happens to you happens to you for a reason. It's what you take out of it. You can play a victim, you can try to blame people, or you can say, what did I learn? And I was so grateful for all the lessons I learned. And keep looking back, 
um, I just keep learning more and more. Like the Medusa energy, um, the story of the Medusa, she turns people into stone. And I was sort of frozen. And what did I think was going to happen when I went on stage? You know, what, what did I think? It was going to be about me? Mm-hmm. You know, what is my message? What was I going to say when I got up there? I didn't even think about it. It was all going to be like, hey, look at me, you know? <laughs> but, and it made me think about like the podcast. And that's why I'm in the rebranding stage. And about maybe before I was really concerned about getting followers and how do I build a following? And what do I got to do? I got to post this many times. And, right. you know, this is the kind of content they'll like. And now it's like, no, no. I got to make something about what I want to say. Yeah. And I got to be clear on my intention and my message for everything I do in my life. And this is where it was really important themes that I, I, I understood, but I wasn't clear on with myself. Mm-hmm. And this constant re-looking at the situation through, you know, my friend Matt, through Kelly, through just um, another another movie that I watched recently, just keeps making things clearer and clearer. So what I would say is difficult difficulties in your life, keep digging. Because yeah. there's so much gold in there. And now I feel like this new energy of being focused on what I want to say when I get up on the stage, I don't care if I have 10 followers. Mm-hmm. But if I can connect to them and say something that resonates with them and inspire them, that means the world to me. You know, And that's why this new podcast is so important. That's why I wanted to share this story for the first podcast. Um, and yeah, it's, it's what it means to you. The experience is all about what it means to you and how you want to share that. And, you know, like this movie Rebirth that I just watched, again, it was like the whole experience. If you watch it, you'll see it's like questioning himself and why are you doing things? And he tries to get up on stage. Like, do you really want to get up on there? And there's a guy in the movie that's exactly like Mike that's sort of pushing him past his comfort zone. And it's virtually scene for scene what Giovanni had told me about his Burning Man experience and so when he recommended I watch this movie the moment I went online to find a movie recommendation he sends me a message saying hey watch Rebirth I start watching it and it's scene for scene what he went through and I'm just like how how on earth is this happening all these synchronicities and your life is full of them if you have the awareness to see it you'll see them every movie has something in there for you that's going to reflect to you something within yourself it could be a Marvel movie it could be a drama there's something there for you. There's a reason why you watch it. And sometimes it won't resonate at all and you'll know because you don't want to watch it. You're bored. It doesn't make sense to you. Or like you don't care. Um, but it was just such a such a crazy experience overall and I'm so grateful to have it. I'm so grateful to have a horrible experience, believe it or not. Versus if I went there and just had four days of dancing and dust rolling and, <laughs> and, and, and you know, doing substances, mind-altering substances, I would have got nothing out of it. But because of this difficult experience, it changed my life forever. And I'm so grateful for Mike. So I don't know if there's anything you want to add. I'm sorry for uh, being so upset at you that day. Uh, but it makes me even more grateful that you actually brought me there. And I went through that. And you were there. Yeah. I just, yeah, I just think the darkness can be a very powerful teacher. And we oftentimes, we look at the darkness and we naturally think that it's evil or wrong or inferior. But... Oftentimes it just requires us to shine our light on it and then we realize that the previous darkness we encountered was simply a lack of understanding, a lack of awareness for what that darkness symbolizes and what it it has to offer us. So like a horrible experience like Giovanni's, if you just take it at face value and it's like, oh, I went through the ringer, it was shitty, Burning Man sucks, like I wish it never went, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you're not really going to gain anything from it, right? But then... And as Giovanni reflected on it, he was shown a few more signs, like through the alchemist and, and this other guy. Um, you start to recognize, like, whoa, there is so much value in having had that experience because it's like, why was I being shown this darkness? And what is it about me that elicited this darkness to come into my life? 
So if you can treat sort of every experience as a learning opportunity, especially those difficult ones, because then like your whole life is so enriching. Everything is can have a profound impact on you. So I think it's really awesome that like you broke through and saw, um, you know, how much growth there was to have through such a, you know, at first horrible experience. Yeah, keep digging, keep looking. You know, it's there. You know, you just might not be able to see it at first, but it's definitely there. Um, yeah, and I think at the highest level, um, you know, we talk about duality, good and evil. I feel like from seeing this, even though there's a darkness that, that showed me a lesson, I think at the top level it all works so perfectly and magically um, that even the world, the things we're going through now, it has a divine purpose of change, evolution, stirring things up. Whether it's Donald Trump or wars, um, it's invoking feelings within us to sort of rise up and to evolve our own consciousness. Um, so we can't avoid it, we can't suppress it, we can't pretend it doesn't happen. We have to sort of learn from all the darkness and all the light and sort of merge it together into one cohesive experience, which is the human experience. So that's episode number one. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got something out of it, um, at least some entertainment. And if you want to get in touch, again, it's www.thewaywithin.me or g at thewaywithin.me. And there's also a video of this, if you're listening to this via audio, there's also a video as well. You can see some footage of the Burning Man experience. And, um, you know, you can see me and Mike sitting there chatting about it. So thanks again for listening, and we'll, we'll see you soon. Ciao.